So I still remember the first time I found out who Darth Vader was. Now, if you are, let's just say of a certain age, you found out live and in person, surrounded by other people in the theater, and honestly, I'm kind of jealous. I would have loved to have that experience. If you are of, hmm, let's say, a certain younger age, like yours truly, the place you found out in was actually your living room seated on the couch, watching on TV. And I remember as a kid sitting at the couch, leaning forward into the moment, wondering what was gonna happen, what was he going to say, what was Luke going to say, and the revelation blew my mind. And it's still blowing kids' minds today. In fact, parents are, they've started filming their kids and putting it on YouTube, and it's amazing. But there was something about that moment Something about Luke finding out who he really was that struck a chord with me. And actually, to this day, I sleep on a Star Wars pillow. It's it's true, you can ask any kid who's been on a retreat or a CCLE with me, they can always tell which pillow is mine, it's the easiest one to, to pick out. But I think, I think the reason we love moments like this, the, the reason we love great reveals in movies and in TV is because it's often not so easy in real life, is it? In fact, one of my all-time favorites of this comes from the movie Princess Bride. There's this beautiful and amazing and hilarious moment. The, the man in black has been chasing them, and Inigo Montoya turns around, and he faces him, and he says to him, who are you? And the man in black says, no one of consequence. And so Inigo kind of presses a little harder, and he says, I must know. And in one of my favorite lines in the entire film with dry wit, he says, get used to disappointment. I mean, it's, it's a great line, isn't it? And what I love about that line is, is I, feel like, I feel like that line echoes for so many of us our own experience with self-discovery. We set out when we're kids, we, we just naturally think about who am I gonna be? We naturally try to figure out who we are. Who are my friends? What am I good at? What am I going to pursue? What am I going to be? But for a lot of us, as we get older and as we pursue it, it ends in disappointment. We get, we get used to disappointment or at least disillusionment. You find yourself in that career years later that you never intended to stay in. It was your starter job. You find yourself in a starter home that has now somehow become your forever home. You find yourself asking yourself, uh, you know, Where's that person that I remember when I was younger? The one who was dreaming big dreams. And you find yourself looking in the mirror on certain days and asking, well, who is this person really? Because life gets complicated. And even if, even if you find yourself in that perfect home, and even if you're in that perfect job, even if maybe you're not even in that life stage, you're not even thinking about that yet, we all have days where we look right into the mirror and we say, who is that person? You know, where did, where did those wrinkles come from? Is that a gray hair? What, what is going on? What's going on behind those eyes? We all have days when we wonder who we are. And so what we do is we try to answer that question in, in so many different ways. Uh, we answer it with our jobs. We answer it with sports. We answer it with friends. We answer it with our, our possessions. We try to answer it in so many different ways. I am this. I am that. And the problem is that none of these things end up answering the deep-seated question in our hearts and souls. And I think, I think it's in large part because it can be so easily taken away from us. Liz and I, we actually, we had our first child three years ago. His name is Truman, and he has a backbone of steel. 
I mean, I mean this, this kid is, is incredible. He is smart and he is clever and there's nothing that I love more in my life than being dad. But I will say this, people prepared me. I had heard about the, the physicality of it. I'd heard about the sleepless nights and the countless diapers. But the thing I was not prepared for was the loss of self. There were all of these things in my life all of these hobbies, all of these extracurriculars, all of these things about me that I loved, that when I had a kid, I, I had to just put them down. And, and I don't think I'd been fully prepared for that moment. The, the pressing realities of being dada outweighed all of the pressing passions and loves and other things in my life. And something about putting those things down, something about putting all of those former identity markers down was honestly a bit traumatic for me. As much as I love being a father, and I do love being a father, there are parts of my old life that I miss a little bit. And I think if you're a parent, you probably have some of those as well. And what we're all going through right now, for I think all of us, is a similar sense of loss in these identity markers. These things that I used to use to define myself and who I was. Uh, so many of those things that made you you are not possible any longer in this moment. Uh, we've lost all sorts of things. We've lost proms, we've lost graduation, we have lost jobs and friends and sports and birthday parties and uh, I mean, you name it. Just, just this morning, I was supposed to have my whole family in town. We were gonna be celebrating as we dedicated our daughter, Elin, in the Wilmington community. And then this afternoon, we were gonna have a big party and we were gonna celebrate my ordination. And now, like many of you, we've postponed, we've put it aside, we are waiting. So many of us right now are living through that same moment of waiting and postponement and loss and what does this mean for me? So many of the things we've used to define ourselves have had to be put aside. So here's my question for you this morning, and it's a simple question, but I think it's an important one. Who are we when the things that make up our identity get stripped away? It's a critical question, and it's a question I think we're all facing right in this moment. And interestingly enough, it's an important question that the Apostle Peter addresses for us. He's got some incredible things to say. So if you missed last week, you can tune in on YouTube and you can catch up, but just real quick, we are in the middle of a brand new series called What Now? And what we're doing is we're looking at a pair of letters written by one of the early founders of the Christian church, a man named Peter. And he's writing to this scared and uncertain group of Christians who are living during a time of increasing persecution and brokenness and fear. And do you know the first thing, the very first thing that he addresses in his very first letter to them, it's identity. Let's read, read with me. This is from his opening greeting. He says, this is a letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and I am writing to God's people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bynthia. So what he's doing, we mentioned last week, uh, Pastor Brian, that he's basically writing to Christians who are living in modern-day Turkey. And he's writing them this letter that on first glance, it looks like he's writing to people who have moved into town from out of town somewhere. Uh, when, when you read foreigners, you think he's probably talking to somebody who is not a native to the place. But the problem with that is that the people he's writing to are actually a mix. There's a whole lot of, of Israelites, a whole lot of Jews who have come to faith in Jesus. And then because of persecution in Jerusalem and other places, they have been scattered to the winds. And a lot of them settled there. But there's also a whole lot of native people who have come to faith through people coming as missionaries and actually through a lot of these Jews coming and moving there as Christians and telling them about Jesus. So what he's writing to is this 
interesting group of natives and foreigners. So that, that plain reading of foreigners actually doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, you know, what we do is we try to say, okay, what, what was actually written here in the original language? But, but if you don't have access to that, the easiest way you can do it is you can open up a few different translations. The Bible's been translated by a number of different people and groups, and you can compare them. So, the top three ways that this word is translated, which I love, the first one is foreigners, the second one is exiles, and the third, and this is my favorite, strangers in this world. Strangers in this world. The, the actual phrase in Greek actually translates to this. It translates to those who reside as aliens. What the Apostle Peter is doing is he is writing 30 years after the death of Christ to a group of people who have put their faith in Jesus. And in putting their faith in Jesus, they have actually found themselves put in a drastically and remarkably different situation. They have gone from being mainstream society to being outcasts. They have gone from protected by the state to persecuted by the state. And all of them are asking the same question. They're looking to him as a founder and leader of the church. And they're saying, Peter, what do I do now? What now, Peter? And so Peter is writing to them. And his answer to this incredibly important and difficult question for them is simple. It's just this. Know who you are. He says, know who you are. You are a resident alien. Over the next couple chapters, he, he lists a, a few different things. He says you are children of God. He says you are strangers. He says that they are temporary residents. And then in the second chapter, he writes this simple rallying cry for this group of scared and scattered believers. And he kind of puts it in a, a beautiful and coherent little package for them. So if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Put a star there, circle it, whatever you need to do. But this is what he says. He says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires which wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So what he's doing here is he's giving them He's giving them ways to behave, ways to, to operate in the world. But before he gets to that, just like at the beginning of the letter, he's giving them who they are. So why, rather than just giving them hints on how to live or, or five ways of successfully living among people that don't think like you or, or whatever, why does he spend so much time talking about their identity? Well, I think the reason is because of who Peter actually is. There's, there's a foundational understanding of the author here. Peter is the author of this letter, but that wasn't the name he was born with. He was born with the name Simon. And when he met Jesus, Jesus actually changed his name. He meets this rabbi, and this rabbi says to him, you're no longer Simon, you are Peter. Petros in the Greek, which means rock. And what he says to Peter is, you are going to be the foundation upon which I build this church. So can you see how Peter... Petros, the rock, would feel incredibly strongly about people's identities. Because our identities are incredibly important. Our identity matters because we are, we become who we think we are. It's the reason I think we love stories about personal discovery. I mean, don't we love it when there's a story where somebody finds out they're truly the king or they're the chosen one or they're the one that can finally wield the sword. They're the only one. We love it. We love knowing who people are because knowing who you are changes everything. So the simple question for you and for me this morning is who am I? 
I want you to ask that to yourself where you are right now. Who am I? The trouble with that question is that so many people are trying to answer it for you. I read this uh, incredible article this last week called The Ultimate Gaslighting. Now, just be cautioned, there's a good amount of profanity if you go and look it up. But in it, what the author is doing is he is warning that there is this oncoming wave, this oncoming campaign, unlike any other in modern history, to try to get us back to normal when this pandemic is over. This is what he says. He says, billions of dollars will be spent on advertising, messaging, and television and media content to make you feel comfortable again. It'll come in the traditional forms, a billboard there, 100 commercials here, and in new media forms, a 2021 generation of memes to remind you that what you want again is normalcy. And every brand in America will come to your rescue, dear consumer, to help take away that darkness and get your life back to the way it was before the crisis. And then he says this, I urge you to be well aware of what's coming. Because advertisers are not just trying to sell us a product, are they? They're trying to sell us an idea. They're trying to sell us an identity. They're trying to sell us something deep inside of us that answers deep questions. I am a Coke drinker. I am an Xbox gamer. I am a Subaru kind of guy. I am a Mac or an iPhone user. They are trying not just to sell us a product, they are trying to sell us a version of ourselves, an idea, and an idea that when it answers a deep emotional need in us, it worms its way inside of us, and it starts dictating to us who we are rather than serving us. I mean, does Coke really make me happier? Does being an Xbox gamer really make me smarter than the Sony ponies? Does, does being a Subaru guy really make me more adventurous? Does having a Mac really make me cooler than someone with a PC? These are the answers that are trying to be given to us. So these products, what they do is they try to answer this deep emotional need in each and every one of us. Who am I? Am I loved? Am I worthwhile? And 2,000 years ago, Peter writes this letter to people living through an uncertain time, and he answers it unequivocally, yes. You are a child of God. You are beloved. Your heavenly Father thinks the world of you, and Jesus proved that on a cross for you and for me. And because of that, what is amazing is that if we put our trust in Jesus, we get to see ourselves differently. We get to live differently because we become different. Remember what he said. He said, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires which wage war against your very souls. To be a follower of Jesus is to be different. It's to be strange. Uh, you are strange. You are a stranger in the world. You are a resident alien. What it means is that you actually see the rat race going on around you. You see the constant drive for more stuff, for more achievements, for more titles, for more this and that, but you do not respond to it. It means you watch advertising campaigns like this and you watch them as one at a distance. It means you watch all of this stuff with a sense of detachment, as someone would, with interest, watch a foreign culture, but not have that strong emotional desire and pull and attachment to it, because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and that makes you different. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God, and what that means is I don't fall for the advertising campaign that tells me I've got to have some sort of certain product to be happy or fulfilled or smarter or cooler or this and that. I know that kind of thinking is garbage because I know who I am. And the other thing I know 
And this is harder. The other thing I know is that suffering and persecution are a part of the deal. There's suffering and there's hardship in the world, but it's not the end of the story. You see, I follow the king, the the God of the universe, the one who said on a cross 2,000 years ago, it is finished and then proved it by coming back from the dead. That is who I follow. So, So what is suffering and hardship in the light of that reality? What is coronavirus in the light of that? What is even death in the light of my identity as an eternal follower of the most high God, of a child, of an heir to the throne? What, I mean, what can be done to me when I'm a child of the eternal God? This theme actually, it runs through the whole New Testament. The apostle Paul actually spoke about it in his letter to the early church in Rome, and this is what he said. He said, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. There's that idea again, children of God. So when you have not received a spirit that makes you, oh, let me start over. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. The term Abba, Father, that's the the close familial child to a parent term. It's It's the term like Dada or Papa. This morning, I, I walked into the bedroom at one point, my daughter, who's one, and she's just started walking within the last month, she looked up at me, she was playing with something, I don't quite know what it was, but she just looked up and she went, Dada. And oh, did it melt my heart. That's the term, that's what he's saying. We get to call God Dada, we get to call him Papa, we have this relationship. And then he goes on to say this, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. There's there's another identity piece. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But then he says this, because these two things go together, and this is critical. He says, but if we are to share his glory, we also must share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Here's the thing. I know who I am because of my relationship to Abba Father, to my Papa, to my Dada. I know who I am. That doesn't mean, it doesn't mean I don't grieve. It doesn't mean I don't feel the pain. It it doesn't mean that this time doesn't cause some anxiety in me. It doesn't mean I never find myself in a moment of panic. What it does mean is that you are not alone. It means you face it together with a family, your brothers and sisters. I face this time with you, my brothers and sisters with Christ, and I faced it with my heavenly father. And you get that same opportunity as a follower of Jesus Christ. You do not face this time alone. One of the most famous passages in all of scripture was written by a shepherd turned king named David. He had spent countless nights as a young boy out in the dark watching over his sheep, uh, protecting them from the things that go bump in the night. And this is how he describes God. It's beautiful. Psalm 23. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. And then he says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the critical piece. Then he says this, you prepare a table for me before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. 
Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This story, this poem written thousands of years ago has echoed to us through time because it is so beautiful and comforting and it reminds us of a reality of who God is and what he does with us. It's been retold time and time again. In fact, I can probably count three or four different books just in our house that have been given to our kids that retell this story. But one of them, the best one that I was reading to my son recently, is called Goodnight Tales by C.S. Fritz. And in it, what he does is he tells different stories from Scripture, but he does it with this fairy tale kind of flair to it. So, so let me read you a portion of this one, because it's awesome. It said, Once upon a meadow, the barhead sheep and their lambs set off in search of a new home. The barheads are the explorers of the wilderness. They're brave sheep who will walk over the highest rocks and through the darkest world dens, but that doesn't mean they're never afraid. Where are we going to the A, Father? asked the lamb. Well, I don't know for certain, said the father, but because the shepherd is leading, it must be somewhere good. Uh, the others, the lamb said, they say we're going to go through the deadly valley. Uh, aren't you scared? Uh, well, of course I am, said the father, but do you see the shepherd? He's our watchman and our guide. So the lamb asked him, is he all we need? And now here's the critical line. I love this. The father answers, he is all we want and he is more than we need. More than the quiet streams he leads us to drink from, more than the green pastures he leads us to lie in. Now I'm reading this to my son and, and I'm starting to cry because notice the fact that the father never denies the deadly valley to the son. He just reframes it. He reframes the experience by reminding the lamb that they walk through it with the shepherd. And as it turns out for the lamb at the end of the story, he gets carried through it by the shepherd. He is all we want and more than we need. Peter's words, they don't deny suffering or hardship. They just reframe the experience by reframing the central question that every one of us walks around with from birth. Who am I? What is my place in this world? And the way we answer that question makes all the difference for us, no matter our life stage, no matter our experience, no matter our age, and so what we've done for the next couple minutes is we've turned to a few of our high schoolers, uh, two of our high schoolers, and we've asked them to share how this reality is living out for them during this moment. So let's hear what they have to say. Um, so hi, guys. My name is Kate Fox Fuller. I'm the director of middle school ministry at our Wilmington campus. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing um, two of our best and brightest students at Grace Chapel. So I would love for these young people to share um, who they are and where they're coming from. My name is Chris. You go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, my name is Chris and I'm from the East Lexington campus. I'm a junior in high school and yeah, that's kind of it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Amber. I'm a senior in high school and I go to the Wilmington campus. You know, Adam brought some really good words today that kind of provided us some space to think about how, you know, our identity in Christ and our, our centeredness in, um, you know, who God is and how we are really children of God. Um, how is that sort of impacting the way that we are viewing ourselves in this time? Are, are you guys experiencing, you know, moments during your day or during your week where, where you're feeling kind of grounded as a Christ follower? Has that been helping you um, through these uncertain times? I think it's um, definitely been 
Sorry. <laughs> no, you go, go. I think it's definitely been harder. Um, you know, one of the things I feel like that really keeps me grounded and I'm always like looking forward to is being able to have a youth group, being able to go to church and just have a community of people around me that hold me accountable and all that stuff. But when all of that was taken away really fast, then it was kind of just me and God for a, a lot of nights when I was just doing devotionals with him. And I mean, that definitely helps. I, I know if I didn't, I, if I didn't have God or if I didn't have a play, a person or a place to go when I really, really just needed someone to talk to or something, um, or to pray about something, it would just, this time would be really a lot more difficult. Yeah, no, I agree totally. Like there would be times like I find myself, you know, feeling sorry for myself, like, oh, like my senior year, all this stuff is getting canceled, blah, blah, blah. But like with my like foundation in Christ, you know, I just have to like take myself out of the situation and like realize like actually what is going on in the world and like my problems are just like way minuscule on the list like mm -hmm. there's so much other things that are happening to people that like are way worse and I feel like it's my like kind of job as like a follower of Christ and a child of God to just you know be like looking out for everything else that's going on and stop like feeling sorry for myself that this is like happening to me and stuff. So are there any, uh, you know, practical examples um, of things that you're finding that are helping you remember that? Um, well, every night I feel like I try to make it um, kind of like a routine. It helps me to bring myself like to really be at peace at the nighttime, right before I go to bed, just to, you know, dwell on the word and just um, try to understand and listen for maybe things he's talking to me about. Mm -hmm. And it has been very helpful. I just, all the craziness that's going around in the world, seeing the news and just being able to come and do my devotionals, even if, if it's just like one chapter or like half a chapter of a book and just being able to do that every single night, keep some sort of routine, some sort of something that's happening the same but with everything that's changing. Um, and it also reminds me that um, I'm not alone in this, that, everyone else is feeling this and that there are a lot of my other uh, kids in the youth group, all the other, um, my parents, friends, just they're all dealing with this at the same time and we're all praying for the same thing. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. What about you, Amber? Well, I like uh, being with youth group on Sundays, like really helps, you know, like having those friends that you can go to, to like talk about, your faith and like even come with them come to them with like doubts and stuff definitely like doing devotionals and stuff and like developing more of a routine is something that i need to like work on more um because you know i just come up with all these excuses like oh i can't do it right now but i feel like that is gonna really help like prayer and devotional and you know like having those people that you can go to and so I'm really grateful for all that you have shared with us today. And um, you guys, 
you guys are rock stars and I just want to encourage you in this season um, to keep relying on God, to keep relying on, on your friends and to continue to be sort of beacons of light um, in the community around you. So thank you for spending time with us this morning. Thank you. Okay. Things have changed so quickly, haven't they? I mean, so many of those things that we used to build our identity on have been stripped away from us in this moment. So the question for all of us is, who are you when we've lost those things? Amber and Chris, they're putting their, tr their trust and their faith and their identity in Jesus. Uh, I mean, I'm sure not perfectly, none of us are, but they're looking to Jesus for that answer during this time. Reveal moments, great reveal moments in our lives, they, they aren't always as dramatic as the movies. Often they're more like what Chris is talking about, just a daily, nightly, every evening routine of reminding yourself who you are, who has God said you are, what is your place in this world, how do you fit, who is he to you? Sometimes we have big moments, uh, sometimes on a retreat or in a worship service or, or something, and maybe right now you're feeling that. Maybe there's something that has just come to life in you. Don't ignore that. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God who is speaking to those deep needs inside of you, those questions you've had since you were born. But often it's more of a simple and everyday thing. Just this last week on, on Tuesday, I was out for my morning run, and I always run the same pattern. I'm a, I'm a creature of habit. I, I run this path through the woods near my house, and, and I end up out at the end of this long path that ends up at a bench that sits like basically surrounded by the water. Three sides surrounded by the water. It's beautiful. And I love it, and I've, I've run to it. It's a good place for the dog to get a drink. And I can't count the number of times that I have sat on that bench, looked at the water, and caught my breath. But since this whole thing started, I have avoided touching it. And for some reason on this particular morning, as I got there, that bench, it's like it took on more significance for me. I found myself looking at that bench and wanting to sit on it. I felt myself wanting uh, things to get normal again. Uh, it, it was like that bench was standing in in that moment for everything that was going on around me. And so I kind of walked around it and I walked to the water's edge and I stood and I, I just poured out my thoughts and my feelings to God. And after a couple minutes of that, my words ran out and I stood there quietly. And as I was standing there, I noticed something. It's this beautiful lake in front of me. And there's birds all over the place. And there's these sparrows and, and they're flitting. There's dozens of them and they're flitting over the water and they're catching their morning meals. And in that moment, the words of Jesus popped into my mind. And this is what Jesus said. This is from Matthew. Matthew recorded this for us. He said, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And then Jesus says, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? I found myself standing there at the edge of the water in awe. You know, God answered my prayer immediately with the words of Jesus. He said, you are mine. You are valuable to me. Look at those birds, Adam. I'm taking care of them. And you're way more valuable. You're my son in whom I am well pleased. I got you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk through this time alone. 
My, my son, he's three years old. I mean, he'll walk through the darkest night as long as he knows that I'm holding his hand. And what you have in front of you right now is an opportunity to reach up, to grab your heavenly father's hand and to walk through this moment together with him. For those of you who've already put your faith in Jesus, I, I would recommend reminding yourself daily of who you are. This process of becoming more like Jesus is a daily process of putting down all of those other things, putting aside all of those other things that culture and society tells you you want and need and should be, and instead looking to Jesus Christ and saying, you have the answer for me. I want to be like you. And the more we do that, the more we reaffirm who we are in Christ, the more our thinking and our behavior starts to look like Jesus. And the more we look like Jesus, the less those things weigh on us, the less pressure they have, the more we see them as a resident alien, as a stranger, as someone for whom they don't carry so much emotional weight. For those of you who've never decided to follow Jesus, this might be the time. If you feel something stirring inside of you, don't, don't ignore it, don't put it down, don't leave it. You know, in that that critical moment we talked about at the beginning with Luke and Darth Vader, Luke finally figured out who he was. And here, you have a chance to find out who you truly are. You are a child of God. You are an heir to the throne. You are beloved. You are a resident alien. You get to stand aside from all of this because you know where your allegiance lies. You know where your love comes from. You know where your identity comes from. It comes from God. And I invite you to make that a part of your life. Just in a couple minutes, I'm going to pray, and you, you can pray with me if you want, and you can put your life and your identity and your future in the hands of Jesus. It, it's as simple and as all-consuming as it sounds. You put your trust in Jesus, you, you recognize your need for a Savior, and in doing so, your identity changes, your place in the world changes. You are a daughter or a son of the king. You are an heir to the throne. You are God's beloved a stranger, a resident alien, gods. And you have a chance to do that with me this morning. So if, if you want to give your life to Jesus this morning and your future to him and your identity and all of those questions, I'd invite you to pray with me in just a second. And if you do, email me. You can find me at arow@grace.org. Send me an email. Tell me what town you live in, and I'll get you connected to a campus pastor who's nearby you. And if you're listening from far away, just email me anyways. I'll get you connected with somebody awesome, I promise. There is an opportunity in this crisis that God is offering us to realize that all those things we relied on before, they don't hold up. And he's the true source of our comfort and our peace and even our identity. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for, I thank you for this reminder. I, I desperately needed it this week. I thank you for each and every person who's listening this morning. I thank you for the fact that you created them in your image, that they are your sons and daughters, and that they get to call you Abba, Father, Papa, Dada. So Lord, for those who are listening and for the very first time are saying, I, I, I want that. I want to walk with you hand in hand. Lord, I ask that you would not let that fire burn out in them. All you have to do is just say, Jesus Christ, you have my heart, you have my soul, you have my future, I am yours. I know I need something greater than what I've seen around me and I am putting my faith and my trust in you. In the name of Jesus, amen.